welcome to the Intuitive Insights podcast series. I'm Nina Lockwood, founder and director of Intuitive Interim and Executive Search. Throughout this series, I will be sharing engaging conversations with talented leaders from across the UK transport sector. Today, I'm delighted to welcome David Statham, Managing Director of Southeastern. David shares his career story with us and also his thoughts and wishes for what the future might look like for the UK rail industry. David Statham, Managing Director of Southeastern, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the Intuitive Insights podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me. Great to be here. We've, um, as we, we've been saying just uh, off air before we, we came live on the virtual couch, um, it's uh, the, the audience of Intuitive Insights really appreciate hearing about uh, the careers of people that they uh, know and have heard about in the UK rail industry. So I'm going to start off in time-honoured way, David, and ask you to share your career story with us. Um, starting off with the bit that really always fascinates me is why rail in the first place? How did that come to be? Goodness, so, so I, I left university and I, I did the milk round like lots and lots of sort of graduates did. Uh, and I, I went to loads of interviews and I was offered a selection of jobs. So I got offered a job in IT and jobs in the legal profession. Uh, and one of the offers that I got was with British Rail. Um, and I remember sitting there, you know, in the final weekend, having been round all of these interviews and looking at these, this sort of range of offers. And actually, of all of them, the railway felt like the place that I could make the most difference. You know, you think society really needs railways, people really need railways. And it felt like something that I could do with my life that was really useful. Um, so I chose British Rail and, and sort of never looked back, really. That was 29 odd years ago. Um, and so, you know, you kind of see it firsthand, don't you? It wasn't very long from accepting that job. Then I was a duty manager at a London terminal. And you see firsthand, you know, thousands of people going through those London terminals. And on a good day, you know, you know, you'll get people home to their families and their dinners and, you know, after a hard day's work. And on a bad day when you're not doing that as effectively as you could do, you know, quite, you know, the, the sort of uh, impact that has on people's lives. So, yeah, yeah. So, choice about what was useful, I think. I think that's really interesting, David, because there are so many people that I speak to that um, that comment on the reason that they joined the railway, or if you know, quite a few people have said over over the the last few years, I fell into it, mm. but once you're in it, you don't want to leave. It's one of those mm. industry sectors that really grabs hold of you. Um, but this theme, there is most definitely a theme of being part of something that makes a difference, that mm. is a key part of society, of keeping society moving, whether that's getting people to work or to see loved ones or whatever the reason is, there is a point to what we do when we work on the railway, um, which which is, I think, becoming even more important, actually, um, to, to future generations of people who are coming into the workplace. What can I do that's contributing mm. to society? Well, I mean, never more so than now. So I was at London Bridge a few weeks back when we just started. We were right at the height of lockdown three and uh, just at the start of the vaccination programme. London Bridge is right next door to St Thomas's. And I'm standing there talking to uh, the guy in the gate line. And we start seeing at 9.30 lots of, of really quite sort of elderly people coming through. And it was people coming through for their vaccines, the first batch of people coming for their vaccines next to the railway station, having travelled on 
you know, on the railway to get there. And you realise throughout what's been a really difficult year, you know, what we've done has got a point. It's helped people in that particular instance get to get a life-saving vaccination. So it was, yeah. you know, every every day you see a different example of why what we do has has lots of sort of meaning. Yeah, absolutely. And you will have seen in that, like, 29 years, you will have seen some pretty big changes, I would imagine, certainly from, you know, from what the railway as, as it was when mm. you started with British Rail. One of the things, and, and Diane Crowther and Mark Hopp would have both said this when they joined me on the podcast, is that um, going back to British Rail days, it seemed to be that you got a lot more responsibility, a lot younger. Would you agree with that, David? Do you think that was the case? Goodness. So, I mean, I arrived uh, pretty pretty uh, lacking in life experience, let's put it politely, in sort of British Rail. Um, and it was brilliant. You know, it knocked a lot of the rough edges off, off you and it gave you life experience that you would never have had. So I, I arrived to be, you know, thinking I'm going to be a management training and I'm going to you know, be rising up the corporate greasy pole within nanoseconds. And they gave me uh, an orange overall and a big V-shaped broom and I swept the station for a week. Uh, and it was a lovely sort of, you know, brings you down to earth. Uh, yeah. And then spent, you know, some time cleaning train carriages and, you know, working through all the various different roles. And it was a real sort of down to earth, proper introduction into the way that the operation worked. But pretty quickly after that, you know, I would have been in my early 20s and I was a duty manager of a London station. Yeah. I remember it was my second shift. And it was really windy. It was in one of the great storms that we had back in the early 90s. And the roof started coming in. Glass was falling onto the concourse. And the police come running over and go, you know, who's in charge? We've got to shut the station. I'm looking over my shoulder. And all of a sudden you think, no, it's, it's actually me. You know, I'm, I'm in charge here. And I, I shut the station on my second shift because we got sort of glass flying all over the place. And you, you get that sort of, you know, quite a lot of responsibility quite early. Um, and then you get, you know, quite a lot of variety. So what I found in the first part of my career was not just that, you know, sort of get the rough edges off you, knocked off you and that sort of exposure to life and not just early responsibility. But there's quite a lot of variety, actually. I was quite lucky in the first few years of my career to work in customer service and operations and human resources. I did project work. We ran a catering operation. So I was involved in catering for a bit. So, you know, that sort of variety in your career is something you don't necessarily associate with the railway but I must have worked in five or six different parts of the sort of operation in my first first sort of six or seven years. Yeah this is one of the things which um, is, is one of my soapbox topics David to be honest because I think as an industry mm. we could be so much better at getting that message across that you've just mm. shared with us that joining the railway doesn't mean that you have to don a set of overalls and get your spanner out. And, you know, it's, it's not and it's not all about the trains. There are so many different aspects to making this industry work. And, you know, I, I think that there literally is something for everyone, depending on, on kind of what your skill set and your interest is. When you look back over those various different roles that you've done, um, what, what are the highlights? And, and I guess I'm equally curious to know what are the bits that you would never want to go back and do again. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness. Um, in terms of the highlights, it's really hard to pick out, isn't it, in the end, over sort of 29-odd years. You know, an awful lot has, has happened over those times. The bits I remember are the bits where you think, 
you know, you've achieved something that's going to be around for a long while. So I remember um, I, I spent a lot of my life, um, sort of about 10 years ago, working on the template programme and rebuilding stations like Farringdon uh, and London Bridge in the centre of London. I remember going the day we opened the new station at Blackfriars up for the first time, this sort of wonderful glass, uh, sort of, you know, glass and steel construction across the river. And the sun was coming up at about sort of 5.30 in the morning. And the first person was coming to buy their ticket. And the first 12 car train was going through and it had been, you know, a good three or four years of my life getting to that point. Uh, and it was brilliant. And you realise then that this sort of station that, that has been rebuilt, it's been there for 150 years. And what we've done over the last few years is going to serve us for, you know, several generations to come. So it was, Absolutely. you know, things like that, I think, that, that I, I sort of look back on with a bit of, uh, bit of pride, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, because that's a that's that is literally leaving a legacy, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. being part of something which, as you've said, you know, people are going to be able to to experience and and see for many years to come. And it's a really good example of doing a job where you get to do a, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. So you can actually get to that point where you see the stations open, you can see it's finished, and there's mm. a huge amount of job satisfaction there because you've completed the task. Yeah. In your current role, does it ever feel like you're finished? Oh, goodness, that's a brilliant question. I mean, so <laughs> I, I, um, I moved from these sort of project-based jobs into being a, an MD and running a company. And one of the things that you've got to learn um, is your job as a project director to a degree is to rush towards that finishing line to make sure that people are motivated and inspired or sort of harangued and harried to get a fixed piece of work over the line by a certain space of time. And you tend to adopt a particular set of behaviours in order to do that. You know, you'd be a pace setter, somebody who'd be out constantly pushing the the sort of time and the, the, the delivery of your little bit of the organisation. But it doesn't work like that when you're leading a big organisation whose challenges are overlapping and sometimes never end. You know, you've got to, you've got to learn that that sort of pace setting behaviour and constantly pushing people towards the next thing and the next thing and the next thing is exhausting when there isn't that sort of finite end for everyone. Uh, so you have to learn a completely different set of behaviours uh, in jobs that have that sort of much longer and much more complex span of what we do. Yeah. And I guess to be able to to really identify the wins, because it might not be that something big has been finished. It might actually be something really quite small. But to be able to look at that and say, well, actually, yes, that was the result today Mm. or that was the result this week. Um, because they are there they're just not as you say in project world it's quite different because you've got your very clear milestones and, and endpoints that you're working towards yeah yeah you're absolutely right you know you know opening a station you're literally snipping a ribbon you run your first train it's terribly exciting but when you're you know working to improve train service performance for example you've got to try and find those milestones and those things for people to celebrate and celebrate those those little wins where you can get them yeah to say that it's been an interesting year is probably the biggest understatement I could possibly make. Um, I, I am absolutely in awe of what you and your colleagues in the operating railway have achieved in the last year. I think it's been incredible. And, you know, thinking back to this time last year when we were in full on crisis management mm. mode of trying to understand how on earth 
we we do what we need to do and actually what do we need to do working it all out this this whole kind of crisis that that needed to be um to be dealt with and to be managed huge amount of learning that's gone on and and I'm going to come to that a little bit later um what I'm really keen to understand from from your perspective David is what as we stand now and we're on this what I think is a really exciting cusp of massive change and transformation we've been through a lot and it's been accelerated because of the pandemic but we're now at a point where we are reimagining what the future is going to Mm. look like um, it's, it, it, it has become tradition now on the Intuitive Insights podcast to give my to get my fairy my, my magic wand out and do my fairy godmother bit to say if there was three wishes um, that that I could give you to say what do you want to happen what do you want the railway to look like what should we be thinking about as a as an industry what are the three most important things to you for for us to move forward goodness so so what in terms of three wishes um what would i like so uh in, in terms of society as a whole i guess i i would really like people to get back to wanting to be together with other people i'm really worried that we've spent the last year or more telling people other people are dangerous you've got to literally keep your social distance but so much of what is important about life is about other people isn't it is about our interaction with others so my first bit is i hope we get back to seeing being with and around other people as a really positive part of our lives and i think there's a a little way to go in doing that in terms of the railway um you know we're at this interesting inflection point aren't we the world is changing really 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 quickly um and, you know, we're at this sort of moment of truth where look, half of my customers have not been on a train for 12 months. And so we've got this sort of battle for sort of ongoing relevance. So I really hope that our industry becomes more rather than less relevant in the recovery from the pandemic, that we're there playing our part in this sort of green recovery from COVID, that public transport is leading the way in terms of, you know, its environmental credentials and its economic credentials and making our big cities work and prosper. Um, so I really hope we become more on less relevant. And if I, had, if I had the opportunity for a personal wish, I really want to go on holiday. It's been, been, <laughs> it's been about six months since I've been anywhere exciting. I'm a massively avid traveller in my spare time. And I miss that sort of, you know, the the thrill of the new getting off the plane seeing somewhere you've not been to before and and sort of discovering new places yeah I can I can definitely relate to all of those the people wanting to be together thing is an interesting one isn't it because Mm. um I am quite a a huggy person so I Mm. kind of you know I I I suppose in in my personal life as well as my professional life you know I I, I'm quite I don't have a big personal bubble Mm. shall we say so this whole kind of don't touch anybody thing is quite mm. alien. I would also say that I am a reasonably confident person. So, you know, in terms of I'm, I'm happy to go in a restaurant on my own or travel on my own and that, that kind of thing. But I've got a, a, my first meeting date scheduled for a trip to London in May. Um, and I'm quite nervous about it, mm. David, to be honest. And I've, I'm really, I've spoken to a few people about it, trying to pinpoint what am I nervous about? It's not the train journey, because I know that the trains are super clean and safe. 
not I'm not worried about that. I'm certainly not worried about the the meeting that I'm going to. Um, so what is it? I, that's a bit strange. I think mm. this kind of people wanting to be with other people. Um, mm. Absolutely, I really feel like I'm ready to do that. Mm. But but I am I have got a certain amount of nerves about the prospect of getting back out there again. I don't know what that's all about. Well, I think, I think that's entirely entirely understandable. I mean, I I. I've been trying to get out about once or twice a week to go across the network. And I don't want our people who are there every day to feel abandoned. So I've been out about trying to sort of go and see what life's like for people who are out there sort of delivering the service every day a couple of times a week. And if I'm absolutely honest, the first time I did it, about two days after lockdown was announced, it was a really nerve-wracking visit out. You know, you could see the uh, I was a bit on edge and the colleagues that I met were a bit on edge and the customers were a bit on edge and it was a really strange environment. Mm. But every time I did it after that, you could see something had changed and you could see there was more stress on social distancing. People were wearing face masks. You could see that people were putting effort into cleaning. You could see people were that little bit more respectful of other people's space. And so every time I went out, I felt a bit more confident about going out and felt that the world was a little bit less hostile. And to be honest, it was really good for my own mental health to go out and about yeah. and see that the world wasn't quite as hostile as perhaps it was being presented as. And it was really good to go and see the sort of confidence of people who work for the railway to go in and do these sort of, you know, public facing jobs and to see how people were managing that sort of environment and risk, you know, really helped me, I think, in terms of my own yeah. attitude over the last year. Yeah, because of course there have been colleagues from the the railway have been out there all the time, haven't they? So yeah. because because the service has has kept going, obviously to a much smaller extent, mm. but there have been people who have continued to be on the front line for that whole mm. time. So it's um it's getting used to things being different. Completely with you on the um on the let's let's hope we become more relevant. Mm. Um, I think there's some really positive signs there. I think that um, the whole staycation thing that's um, that's with us as we kind of head into to the summer months. I spoke to um, to somebody earlier today. Actually, um, they're a coach company, a bus and coach company, but their um, bookings on their coach trips have gone a massive peak. And you just think, gosh, you know, if you'd said that two years ago, that coach holidays would get an increase in patronage. Don't be daft, you know, because the people who historically have gone on coach holidays um, would be the more mature travellers, shall we say, and and they haven't, you know, they they haven't been getting out and about. Mm -hmm. So it's the whole demographic has changed. And I think, gosh, Mm -hmm. right, if that that can change, then Mm -hmm. the opportunities are huge for the rail industry in terms of, of how we can facilitate that travel. Well, I hope so. I mean, we're, I, in my spare time, one of the things I do, I'm a director of Visit Kent, the sort of local tourism authority. And, um, you know, the opportunity this summer for sort of domestic tourism is potentially massive, isn't it? For mm-hmm. people to go out and discover things in their sort of backyard, so to speak, that we haven't, that we've probably flown over on our way to go somewhere else on holiday. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's really brilliant, I think. And it's the opportunity for, for the UK tourism uh, you know, industry to show what it's got and show what it can do. So I think there is an opportunity this summer to change some of those travel habits. Yeah, yeah. I think the community, the community rail partnerships are doing quite a bit in that area as well. 
I was um, I took part in a conference quite a few months ago now that was um, in the Midlands, and there were some great stories coming out from the community rail volunteers where they're doing things like having um, maps at stations for walking tours of the area, uh, treasure hunts that can take place, and you kind of you know you go on the train, you get off at the next stop, you find the next clue, etc., and just um, helping people and enabling people to enjoy the local area. Um, and you just kind of look at it a bit differently and see the train as something different other than it's how I get to school or how I get to work. Mm. So I shall watch with interest and see what's going on, because I think there's a huge amount of opportunity there. Mm. So in terms of the learning then, um, and and yes, it's been, it has, you know, we wouldn't want to go through it again, would we, the last 12 months? Um, but I get the sense that, like me, you're somebody who will want to pull the positive out of that and say, right, OK, well, what do I know now that I didn't know before? What do you think you've learned from it, David, whether that's professionally or personally or both? Goodness. So, so I mean, I, th- I think I've learned more in the last year than I've learned in the entirety of the rest of my career, to mm-hmm. be honest. It's been astonishing. You know, this is literally once in a generation or two that you go through an experience like like this. Um and so right at the start of it, you know, this time a year ago, the first learning, I guess, was just the pace of change. It was absolutely astonishing. You know, we'd be planning for, you know, the worst case scenario that we might lose, you know, X percentage of our passengers. And by the time we'd written it down, we'd lost, you know, double that amount just in the, the time it had taken. And we went, we lost 97% of our market in a, in a couple of weeks. I mean, it was amazing the sort of scale and pace of change. And I remember, you know, having my first video conference with somebody about a year ago. So I was uh, working on a piece of work for the Rail Delivery Group. And one of the members of that group worked for Tranitalia. And he was he dialed in to this um, sort of RDG meeting, which was a novelty in and of itself, from his room, yeah. you know, on a computer, which was a novelty. Yeah. Uh, and I've been sort of, you know, in lockdown. And I remember looking around the room and saying, gosh, that's really weird. You know, what never happened here. And of course, ten, literally 10 days later, yeah. We were all locked down. So that sort of unexpected scale and pace of change, I think, and being ready to deal with that mm. was the first bit that struck me. I guess the second one then pretty quickly was adaptability. So, you know, we shut our headquarters on a Tuesday afternoon. I remember saying to everybody, you know, it's time to go. You know, we're gonna we're gonna close at four o'clock. You know, you've got to go home, you're working from home. And that evening sitting there worrying, you know, thinking, you know, are we gonna pay our bills? Will we plan timetables? Will we get customer information about will people still, you know, know to turn up to work for the, you know, to operate this particular train as a driver or a conductor? And it was astonishing. You know, we we stepped between this entirely office-based uh sort of working paradigm and into remote working with you know very, very few slips. You know, the organization seamlessly adapted to this sort of new work environment. And I was really quite sort of amazed by that, that people's adaptability was much more than I thought. But the third thing that I learned, I guess, as it sort of evolved, is about collaboration. So I, I've seen more collaboration over the last year than I've seen at all, you know, in the rest of my career. There's a huge amount of work that we now do across the operators that we never did before. We're working close with TFL and we have done before lots and lots of collaboration with NetLabel because we, you know, the answers to some of these bigger national questions can only be done by working together at a national level and so to a degree you know we've had to find ways to work together that we've not done before and I think that's been really positive and it's a thing we shouldn't we shouldn't lose. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And and that happened, I think, really quickly, didn't it? Do you know that kind of feeling like we're all in this together? Yeah. And and actually, yes, there may have been um, the way that we worked previously may have been, well, actually, no, you know, you're from a different owning group. We're not going to talk to you because there's, there, there may be commercially sensitive information or we're not going to share that or blah, blah, blah. But it all seemed to happen quite quickly that the the train operating companies, as you say, you know, TFL, Network Rail. Um, and I have also been told on more than one occasion that the unions, the collaboration with the unions was a lot more effective than it ever has been. Um, I'm hoping that some of that will kind of stick. Um, but, you know, collaboration across the industry. Um, I think yeah, you're absolutely right, David. There's been so many people saying that it's, it's vastly improved to what mm. it was before. Yeah, and, and you know, a crisis. Go on, sorry, but a crisis does bring out the best in people. But you've got to hope we can carry on, carry on this level of collaboration when the crisis is past. You know that we've learned some behaviours that we'll will carry on with. Yeah, it's certainly. I think the word collaboration has become part of our vocabulary, which perhaps it wasn't before. Um, and quite often when in, when I'm in conversations about how we will work moving forward, so flexible working or remote working, what's that going to look like in the industry as we move into um, the future? Mm. And so many people, I think it was actually the RDG that first coined the phrase with me, was that the office now becomes a place for collaboration mm. and not for uh, normal work, if you like. So mm. if we need to have a meeting where we want people physically in the same room because that gives us the energy to be more creative, more innovative, to you know, to get projects kicked off, etc. Then the collaboration space is going mm. to be important. But yes, if you're working on a report or you're doing a you know a series of Teams meetings, whatever, there's no reason why you shouldn't be at home for that. Mm. Um, and there's obviously roles where you need to be in the office for, but I think by and large people are, are kind of moving towards this you've said earlier this need to be with other people mm. um and i think 12 months ago there was some doubt about that kind of oh we're all working from home now but and that's how it's always going to be um and i was a bit dubious at the at the start because we're all social creatures at the end of mm. the day aren't we even the introverts are social creatures to an extent so um it will be interesting to see that and how that pans out I think the word collaboration is certainly a, a really positive one that's come out of all of it. Yeah, I mean, it was just making me think about what I sort of miss about the, the sort of world before COVID and the world last February. And I guess the other bit, you know, as well as that ability to work with people and collaborate, you know, you, you also miss the sort of vibrancy of, of city centres, I guess, as much as anything else. You know, I remember moving to London uh, when I you know, got my first job in uh London and how exciting it was, how vibrant it was. Now there were these massive opportunities to go out, and th go to the theatre and go to see music and go and eat any sort of cuisine you like. And I guess that was what sort of drew me to stay here in London for you know, 25 odd years. And all of that as well, you think, you know, we really need to get back to celebrating why it is we choose to live in these big conurbations because our cities are brilliant. They're brilliant places that we we have chosen to make and we should sort of support and regrow and cherish yeah completely agree uh, for me it's an energy thing it's the kind of you know being with other people being in the city um and and i, I as i say earlier you know i have got i've got my first meeting in may back in london and that's you know over a year i think last february last time um i, I visited the city 
But and, and Manchester's the same for me. Glasgow's the same. It's mm. that that fantastic energy that you get mm. from being in a city, and like, as you say, the vibrancy of it. So I'm really confident that people will want to go back. I just think you know it, it may just take a period of time before we get there. Yeah, and I, I think we have to understand. You know, as operators, we have to understand that every loosening of restrictions, there are more people going to be potentially coming back to use our services and lots of them are going to be understandably very nervous having yeah. been you know uh, given all of the you know sort of difficult public health messaging and asked to stay indoors for the protection of their own health and stay away from other people you know you can see why people will be nervous but in the end we've got to get people to overcome those nerves and come and mm. you know start playing a role in society and the regeneration Absolutely. of our cities and our economy again yeah and the video that you guys did at Southeastern for the school children to take, yes. you know, before they went back on the 8th of March, it was a brilliant idea because I've heard of it, you know, organisations doing it for their staff when they were going back to the offices last year. Um, but I think this whole idea of kind of walking the school children almost through the station, mm. but doing that via video was a brilliant idea. Thank you. I mean, what we... What we've done, we've mapped out every stage of the roadmap and had to think about which customers are coming back. And we've done a lot of market research, knowing what people are sort of nervous or unsure about. So the, obviously the first stage in the roadmap was school children coming back. So we did a video with a local school, uh, school boy to just sort of set out what, what it was going to be like coming back on the, the railways after yeah. a while. Uh, and that was really good. We've now, we're doing the next one in the series. So now the restrictions... Um, allow you to go and visit friends and relatives. So the next video is going to be focused on people returning to the railway to go and visit friends and relatives they haven't seen for a while. Mm. Then we'll do something, I think, probably for shopping and the sort of reopening of non-essential retail and then the opening of indoor hospitality and then the return of commuters. So all the way through, there are different groups of people we're going to need to talk to and give them the confidence to sort of come back to public transport. Because in the end, yeah. public transport doesn't work without the public, does it? We've got to no, give people the confidence to, confidence to come back. Yeah, yeah, the trust and the confidence. And I think that, that doing the um, the videos and helping them to kind of actually see, well, that's what it's going to be like and, and knowing what to expect is absolutely mm. key to that. Brilliant, I love it. Yeah. So lots of learning lots of stuff that we'll we'll take forward into whatever the new normal becomes mm. um and what what i'm going to to ask you to to leave us with david now as the final bit of our conversation so many people that i have the privilege to talk to have got people in their world who have been um good role models for them that have taught them in terms of leadership skills you know when you've worked for somebody that's got really excellent leadership skills equally if you've worked for somebody who hasn't then that is also a really big learning opportunity um i know that many of my guests have left us with a quote but i know that you've got um a story that you want to share with us so can it for this the last um section of the podcast ask you to kind of share a couple of ideas with us in terms of that role model and leadership piece you know mm -hmm. who kind of what inspires you in that space um, and then I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. Well, I I think you have to find bits of inspiration for, for different sort of challenges that you face in a job. So I, I go around and I sort of mentally collect things, I guess, um, in terms of things that inspire or motivate me. Uh, and I sort of keep them in the back of a mental rolodex in case I'm having a difficult day or facing a bit of a challenge and sort of 
I, I guess, you know, some of the things that I've picked up uh, recently. I'm a bit of a space geek. Um, so my dad gave me a scrapbook uh, when I was um, about one or two, I think, of the Apollo programme. That really got me into all the people who made the space programme work, whether that's uh, you know, the people in mission control or the astronauts or some of the hidden figures behind who did all the complicated maths. Um, but then you meet real people in real life, you know, through your work, you're also massively inspirational. Um, so, you know, people who see a problem on the, you know, on the TV, for example, and decide they're going to do something about it. So there's a brilliant guy called Darren O'Brien, Southeastern, who saw, uh, you know, some awful instances on the TV of domestic abuse and decided to roll up his sleeves uh, and set up the Rail to Refuge programme. And yeah. so, you know, on occasion, you meet people who see a problem and then decide they're going to actually do something about it. Mm. But the story I sort of wanted to, to end with really was, um, you know, one that I, I think back on when I'm having a difficult day. And it was a member of staff from Southeastern I met a couple of years ago. We've been through a really difficult and long sort of recovery from, uh, from a serious, serious illness. Uh, and he, he told me this great story. Um, so he was recovering from this illness. It was really hard. Um, and on the back of his door in his room where he was convalescing, he hung his uniform. And every day he'd look at his uniform and he'd know that one day I'm going to be well enough to stand up and put that uniform on and I'm going to be able to go into work. And that's going to be normal, you know, and I'm going to be back to being able to do my job and make my sort of contribution to the, to the world. And it took him six months to, to get through this sort of difficult illness and difficult convalescence. And he put his uniform on. I went back into work and started sharing that story. So he now is a trainer for some of the young people who come into work for the railway and tells that story about, you know, what his, his job and his role means to him. It's such a lovely story that when you have a sort of difficult day or things don't seem to be going your way every so often, you know, reminding yourself of the purpose of what we do and why what we do is important is, uh, is really, really great. So I yeah. thank Patrick for that story. He Absolutely. kept me going through some difficult times. Yeah, fantastic. I love, I think that the whole power of visualisation is yeah. is absolutely immense. Um, I, I use it a lot in my life and I've passed that on to my daughter as well. And, you know, when she was doing her GCSEs, when she was heading for a driving test, you know, all, all different things in her, in her young life where you kind of focus on um, seeing yourself in a particular situation like mm. Patrick seeing himself putting his uniform on going back to work which means that I'm fully recovered I'm I'm healthy I'm mm. robust enough to go back out there again mm. really powerful stuff David mm. isn't it really powerful yeah, yeah, stuff it's um, and absolutely with Darren with the the Rail to Refuge scheme what a superstar because mm. so many of us will will have seen a documentary and thought oh gosh that's awful um, you know, somebody ought to do something about that. Um, mm. And then there are people like Darren who say, actually, well, all right, then yeah. I'll be the someone and, I'll, and yeah. I'll set the ball rolling. So incredible achievement. And it's lovely, really. isn't it? From these little, you know, these sort of little acorns of somebody watching yeah. something and saying, I'm going to do something about it, to yeah. see something that sort of grows is, is really, really great. And it was it nice is. to see him get the recognition he deserves. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, David Statham, Managing Director at Southeastern, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I knew I would. Um, I think there's so much more that I want to ask you about, so we'll have to we'll have to reconvene at a future date. <laughs> but I shall continue to uh, to watch on and see 
the videos as they come out, but uh, building your, your trust and your confidence in your customers and uh, continue to hopefully see you appearing on these webinars and sharing some more of this inspiration. Yeah. So my huge thanks to you for appearing on Intuitive Insights. I really am very grateful to you for sparing us the time. Thank you. My huge thanks to David for sharing his thoughts and insights on this episode of the Intuitive Insights podcast. I really hope you enjoyed listening. Please join us again in a couple of weeks for the next episode. 